Well, if you'd go with me to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, it is a great delight to be here. Actually, I counted six uh, services, so I'm thinking about it might be six to fix. Okay, so we'll get uh, the Word of God to do the fixing, and uh, certainly looking forward to it. Uh, well, and I also say this to the Sunshine State, some of you that are uh, maybe got the, some strings to pull, I'd like to see some of that sunshine, but, um, but it's great to be here, it really is. And I'm going to ask the team to stand real quickly, if I can ask the team to stand. I won't introduce them right now individually. Many of you know, of course, John Pound. He's a hometown boy. And, uh, but I've got the, uh, literally from all over. We've got, uh, got somebody from Massachusetts, Illinois, Kenya, but you can't guess who he is. We got one from Ohio. We got one from California. So you can try to figure out where they're all from. And that's the team. Then there's my wife, Rhonda. Many of you remember Rhonda. She's, of course, been with me uh, many of my visits here. And we'll uh, say more about uh, uh, them, et cetera. We'll uh, say more about what's going on. On this week uh, tonight, but I'll ask them to go ahead and get a seat. And uh, for all you that are young people, if you haven't already talked to one of them, you want to see one of them, and they'll be around. I ask the team just to be around. Any teenagers, uh, they want to tell you about War Special Forces, which will be going on Wednesday and Thursday evening for the teenagers. We'll be having revival services. I'll be preaching here. Uh, but uh, Brother John will be leading those uh, rallies on Wednesday and Thursday evening. You want to be a part of that, the big War Special Forces. We'll say a whole lot more about that tonight. Uh, but if you're a teenager don't know about it, see one of those people that stood, and they'll give you a brochure and tell you what's going on. And you can join one of the teams, the Incredible Rangers, the Super Seals, or the Mighty Marines. They'll be going in a three-way contest for first place in uh, War Special Forces. Those of you here at OCA will be having a full program all day long, uh, having a chapel in the morning and a competition, I should say, so two of the periods uh, will have stuff going on, and after lunch we'll be having a competition, uh, I think, last period of the day. So those in your OCA will have an exciting week as well through Thursday. So we are certainly looking forward, actually through Friday, we'll be doing something else on Friday, but we're excited about what the Lord has. Well, time's sake, I want to dive right into the uh, meetings. I do hope you'll make a decision to be here as many times as you can, not because of me. The issue is, I believe, when we open God's Word in a revival meeting, the pastor of a church uh, directs that. I believe God has something for each one. So I hope you'll come, and I believe God will meet a need in your heart. I'm very excited about the week, and I want to deal with a very uh, kind of interesting topic. It's kind of an unusual topic to start a revival meeting, but I'm obviously extremely burdened about this subject matter, and I hope you'll bear with me. I want to deal with the subject of moral impurity. It certainly is killing our country. And I'm going to read a text of Scripture that begin the message I've called Triggering the Moral Impurity Trap. Jesus Christ is speaking. This is preached at the Sermon on the Mount uh, 2,000 years ago, but look at verse 27 of Matthew 5. If you have a red-letter edition of the Word of God, you'll see it's all in red because this is a sermon preached by the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It was either seven or eight decades ago, a man by the name of Kinsey came up with a report that has later now been completely discredited with the way it was done. It was, it was taunted that as being, or presented as being a uh, scientific report. It was anything but scientific. And as a result of that, he basically changed America's moral thinking from the truth of God's word to the lie of secular humanism. 
As a result of that, a young man by the name of Hugh Hefner bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And we all know that he is burning in hell, but he helped trash the minds of millions of American men and boys in the process with Playboy magazine that gave birth to the whole pornographic industry. And ever since then, we've been dealing in the 1960s with, they called it the sexual revolution. Another name was called free love. May I tell you, may I tell you this morning on the authority not of God's word, uh, just of God's word, but also of just credible evidence. The free love of the 60s was not free. It has come with an unbelievable price tag. Trashing the minds of men, destroying marriages, and destroying how many, listen, there are people out here who suffered immeasurable pain in your upbringing because of pornography, and you didn't have anything to do with it. It was your dad. Walked out of your life. Some of you kids said your dad walked out of your life. Don't even know him. And the truth is, if you're not careful, you're going to do the very same thing to the next generation. You see, we are living in a nation that has left God. And one of the things that has happened is it has completely affected the morality of our country. We no longer have a biblical a moral ethic, we now have a very a secular humanistic moral ethic, and of course our pastor was dealing with uh, that uh, biblical worldview in Sunday school, and we certainly have left that a long time ago, and which brought great tragedy as a result. But may I say this, it doesn't have to be that way. You know why? Because the book still says what's right. So we're going to go through four verses of Scripture, and I'm going to tell you right now, these verses of Scripture are very up-to-date and very helpful if we want to avoid triggering the moral impurity trap. Now, let me just simply say this, if I can. The, mor- the morality of our world is now infected the church in a large way. In the month of May, that was uh, about nine months ago, eight, nine months ago, I was with a dear pastor in the state, well, actually with the state, province, one of the provinces in Canada, and uh, he showed me a video series, a Christian video series on the issue of pornography. I will deal with this subject far more in another message, but I just want to introduce it. And I was stunned with one of the statistics. There was a scientific survey done by this Christian group, and they found that 70% of all men that occupy the pews of evangelical churches, now that's a broader group of churches that I'm comfortable with, but they are churches that preach the gospel in some way. 70% of all men that occupy the pews of our evangelical churches have sexual addictions, 70%. 30% of our women have sexual addictions. I, that, now, again, I hope it's less here at, at, at this church. I do, but who knows? It may not be. This is stunning. Every millennial I'm looking at, probably it's 90% of your generation is struggling with pornography. 90%. There are men in this room right now struggling on a regular basis with looking at pornography. Now, I'm not trying to be condemnatory. I am telling you, Unfortunately, you bought into the deception of our culture, but there is a way out, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand, I'm not looking down at you. I am telling you, you have unfortunately been duped, obviously made some sinful choices. I get all that, but there is a way out. There is a way out. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Later. There was a church I heard recently had an unsaved policeman, a police officer, who dealt with some of the crimes, youth crimes in the community, I believe, and very much an expert in his community, and He came, he was not a saved man, he was not a believer in Jesus Christ, and he addressed the adults in the congregation and opened it for a QA. and a And I was told this by an evangelist friend of mine who was good friends with that particular pastor. It's in the city of Las Vegas, and so we certainly understand, uh, this man would understand, uh, particularly there, of all places, uh, the the problems that young people face. And uh, one of the parents, they opened up Q&A, one of the parents says, 
Uh, when should you give your, your kid a smartphone? And here's what the policeman said. Didn't miss a beat. He's not a saved man. Had no biblical agenda. He looked at him. Give him a smartphone when you prepared for them to view pornography. The truth is, friend, the church is asleep on that stuff. And the point is, for everybody in this room, the way to reach the next generation is to understand many of them are caught in the web of pornographic addictions. Now, it's been a 70, 80 years in coming. It's been a process. The devil, of course, in the last few years with the proliferation of the Internet is now has a means to pollute the minds of multiple men. And I will tell you, it's destroying our culture from the inside out. But I will say this. There is an answer. And as I mentioned, it is, his name is Jesus Christ. Many of the dear men in this room who are hooked on pornography, your problem is not primarily a lust problem. I'm not minimizing you got a lust problem. You have a problem that is far deeper. And in many cases, there's an unresolved root. And on Monday night, Lord willing, I'm going to deal with that. You come back, I believe you'll get some biblical help to understand why you struggle with pornography and you fight it on the lust level and you can't get victory. Because that's not where the real problem is. That's only symptomatic of a much deeper root. And we're going to talk about that on Monday night, Lord willing. And I hope it'll be a help to you. Because I believe with all of my heart that you can find freedom. Because this stuff is obviously destroying marriages. It's destroying their, it's just keeping, it's just keeping our, our, our culture in, in a very sad position. But again, let's just look at a few verses of Scripture that deal with this. I understand this is uncomfortable. If you think it's uncomfortable listening, then I can tell you it's uncomfortable preaching. But let's look at the passage of Scripture. I think if we stick right through this passage, we'll walk through these four verses of Scripture and talk about triggering the moral impurity trap. Let's start. This is going to be a progression. We'll deal with probably several messages this week dealing with this because I believe it's a big deal. And there are a lot of dear people struggling with this. And they don't know how to get victory. They're hooked, absolutely hooked. In fact, when I saw that video series, they put the brain of a cocaine addict, they had a brain surgeon on there, and they put the brain of a cocaine addict, the brain of a pornography addict, and the pornography brain was worse off. Literally destroying men's brains with overdoses of uh, their own chemicals, dopamine, just overload, just totally overdosing their brain with dopamine. But... Um, Let's get right to the text of Scripture here, and I want you to see four things that Jesus says here, because I think it's important for us every once in a while, our culture is so pervasive and screaming at us these, uh, these uh, moral, uh, immoral messages that sometimes we get affected, we don't even know we do. So it's important for us every once in a while, just take a biblical adjustment, and let's see what Jesus says. Number one, verse number 27 says, what I'm going to call the diffused commandment. Notice what it says. Ye have heard that it was said... By them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Say, preacher, why would you call that a diffused commandment? That's a quotation right from the Ten Commandments. Well, I want you to notice what that first line says. Ye have heard. You find that a little odd? You know, if Jesus was preaching in 2019, I don't know if he'd say that. You know what he'd say? Ye have read. You say, why did he say ye have heard? Because the common man he was preaching to did not read the Bible. They didn't have copies of them. No, don't get me wrong. The copies of the Word of God were prevalent in that day compared to that day, but compared to our day, they would be rare. They were obviously handwritten. They were scrolls. And so most people, common man, didn't own the Bible. So you say, well, preacher, what would they do? They'd go down to the synagogue on Saturday, and the scribes would pick up rolls 
they'd unravel them and read the Bible. So common men didn't read the Bible, they heard the Bible read. You say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, nothing except that. We all know, if you do some study, it's not hard to find, that the scribes would often, after they put down the scrolls, give the prevalent scribal interpretation of that verse of Scripture. And we all know that the prevalent, if you do any study on it, that we know that the prevalent scribal interpretation of thou shalt not commit adultery in Jesus' day was that it was only limited to the act of adultery and the act of adultery itself. Which brings us to point number two, verse 28. What I'm going to call a divine clarification. You have a diffused commandment. Number two, a divine clarification. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, isn't that interesting? The scribes basically said when God said don't commit adultery, what he meant was don't commit the act. Jesus comes along in one fell swoop of divine inspiration and wipes away that false notion and says, no, 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 no. When God said don't commit adultery, what he meant was don't even think about it. That's what he meant. And he's clearly dealing with the fact that the very first step toward adultery is in the mind. And then, of course, there are steps that lead to a moral failure. For an unmarried person, it would be fornication. For a married person, it would be adultery. But there are steps that lead to it. And what God is, as Jesus is clearly saying here, he's saying, listen, when God said don't commit adultery, he was saying don't even think about it and don't get on the path that leads to it. That's what he's saying. So he divinely clarifies the issue, and of course this is so important in today's culture, he deals with the importance of the mind. You can adulterate the purity of your life in the mind. And what you look at is what you think about. That's the devastation of pornography. We're going to deal with that in a moment. This is one of the most up-to-date passages. I mean, the whole Bible's up-to-date, but it's just so, it's so, uh, it, it describes our culture. So you have, number one, a diffused commandment. Number two, a divine clarification, which brings us to number three, uh, some destructive consequences. Now, I know you're saying, preacher, you said had four points, and uh, we got two real quickly done, and it's going to be a quick message. No, we're going to park for a moment. But let's, let's go there. Let's look what it says here in verse number 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Now, notice this last phrase. It's in both verses, 29 and 30. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, do you find that interesting, that God makes a connection between sexual sin and dying and going to hell? Now, isn't that interesting? Now, actually, it's not unusual, because I began to do a study in the Bible, and I found that in the Bible, God often takes sexual sin, and he ties it with dying and not going to heaven, or dying and going to hell, two sides of the same coin. How about Proverbs 5 and verse 5? Her, talk about the loose woman. Her steps take hold on hell. Proverbs 7 verse 27 again talking about the loose woman. Her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs 9 verse 18 talking about the foolish woman, the immoral woman. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators. The word fornicator is the Greek word pornos. We get the English word pornography from it. It includes all kinds of sexual sin, sometimes accentuating the premarital aspects of sexual sin. God says neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's the two partners in a homosexual relationship. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 
Galatians 5, verse 19 and following, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that's unbridled license and passion. And the verse goes on and says, For the which things I told you, as I've told you before, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5 and verse 5, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, same word pornos, had to be teenagers shacking it up, messing around. No homeworker, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, that's illicit passion and lust, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Please hear me, that word bed is talking about the intimacy that God made for marriage and marriage alone. Marriage is honorable all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Jude and verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication. Now, please hear me. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not just homosexuality. Oh, no. It was teenagers and college students messing around on the weekends, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Hey, I've been on top of Masada. I have looked down on the Dead Sea Valley, where many scholars believe that Sodom and Gomorrah once stood. Looks like the landscape of the moon, hardly a green thing grows. And a silent reminder that the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, as the Bible says, are suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Revelation 21, verse number 8, But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 22, verse 15, talking about those who will not be in heaven. For without are dogs and sorcerers and, hear me, hear me, whoremongers. Hey, if you are an honest student of the Bible, you will find that this sin is a sin that sends people to hell. Now, please hear me. If there's ever a sin in 2019 that Satan uses to blind eyes and harden hearts so that when people hear the gospel, they reject it, it's got to be this sin. Men love darkness rather than light. Do you know why? Because their deeds are evil. And the Bible teaches us that Satan uses sin to harden hearts and blind eyes so that when the gospel is given, men reject it. I remember several years ago, I was in a large church out in the country in the state of Ohio. It was a Sunday morning. About 50 kids were in Sunday school. It was a teenage Sunday school. I was preaching. I preached on moral purity. may have been this text. I think it was. And as I preached, I noticed a young man laugh almost the entire time. He thought it was funny. 17 years old, found out later his name was Chad. Chad got involved that week. He was not from that youth group. I think he was from another church. Somebody told me his dad was a pastor. I never verified that. But he got involved, and on Wednesday night, our very first rally night, Chad showed up. I remember that night, I preached a simple gospel message. Men are sinners headed to hell. Trust Jesus, he'll save you. Came to the end and said, if you're a hell-bound sinner concerned about it, heads bowed, eyes closed, raise your hand. Chad's hand went up just like this. I noted it because he'd been around all week. And uh, I gave the invitation. I think some responded, but Chad didn't. Later that night, it was... Um, there was a, the, the, a kind of an assembly room, square assembly room. There was a hallway completely around it. And off the hallway on the other side were classrooms. It was uh, quite a bit after the meeting had done. I was walking down one of those hallways. Chad was walking up the hallway. Nobody was in the hall. So we met in the middle. I said, Chad, got a question for you. If you died right now, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? I'll never forget what he did. 
He did not speak a word. He simply motioned like this to an open door frame. It was a large classroom right there. I took it to mean this. Hey, preacher, I don't want to talk to you where our people can overhear, but yeah, I'll talk to you behind closed doors. I walked through the door. Chad followed. I closed the door, repeated the question. He said, preacher, I would go straight to hell. I said, Chad, could I open my Bible and show you how Jesus could wash your filth away, save you, and you know you're going to heaven. Wouldn't you like to get that settled this morning, this evening? He said, no, sir, I would not. I said, okay, Chad, I'm going to tell you why. You're about to head out that door headed straight to hell. Men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. I said, there's some sin in your life, and you don't want Jesus to wash it away. He said, am I shooting straight with you, Chad? He said, yes, sir, you are. We left. There was honestly no tension between us. The next night, Chad came back. One of our team members uh, urged him to trust Christ, and the team member told me with clenched teeth he refused Jesus Christ. I'll never forget that Friday night, never. I was preaching, and as I was preaching, I noticed that during the course of the invitation, Chad was near the back, and he had taken his T-shirt, but it was up over his face. Came time for the invitation to either get right with God or to get saved. I had a kind of a dual message that night. Most times it's just pure gospel message. And I remember I gave the invitation, and Chad uh, stood to his feet, and when he did, he dropped his T-shirt. His face was in a, like a grimace. I don't think I've ever seen a teenager. It was like you could tell he was in the agony. He was in a battle. He walked to the aisle. As soon as he hit the aisle, it was like something snapped, something broke, and he began to sob, almost wail. As he left the room, I was the farthest one from him. I could clearly hear him weeping as he left the room. I went backstage to deal with some Christian kids who'd come to get right with God about some garbage music in their life and maybe dealt with them five, maybe ten minutes, I don't know. And somebody comes up to me and says, Brother Van Gelderen, Chad wants to talk with you. Remember, I was about done anyway, finishing over, turning over to a team member something and found the classroom, walked in. Chad was in a large classroom all alone. And he was still crying. I sat down across from him. I said, okay, Chad. You want Jesus to save you? You want Jesus to wash that filth away and save you, keep you out of hell? I remember he just nodded like this. I went through the gospel. I'm not sure I needed to, but I went through the gospel. I think he knew the gospel. Came time to pray. I said, Chad, I'm not praying because I can't save you, but Jesus can. You're going to have to do business with Jesus. Kid bowed his head and choked out a prayer. I wish I could remember what he said, but I mean, he was broken. Asking God to forgive his sin, wash his filth away, keep him out of hell, give him eternal life. I mean, he was dead serious. As soon as he stopped praying... Getting that thing settled, he looked up to me and he stopped crying. Probably been crying for 15 minutes. Bang again to clean himself up, and he honestly was a mess. Bang to clean himself up. And when he did, he looked me right in the eye. He said, Preacher, do you want to know what sin it was that was keeping me from getting saved? I said, Yes, sir, I do. And I'll never forget, he was overwhelmed with the shame about what he was about to say, and he looked toward the, the floor. And he held his hands, all ten fingers, like this, while he's looking down, kind of ashamed to look me in the eye. He said, Preacher, I've been with more girls than I have fingers on my hand. Now, you hear me and do not miss this. Sexual sin almost took that preacher's kid and put him in hell. Thank God for the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit broke through. Now, don't go out the wrong window on this thing. You don't stop sinning to get saved, nor do you promise to stop sinning to get saved. You get saved by trusting Jesus Christ to deliver you from your sin problem. I don't want you to go out the wrong window. But you see... He had come to a point where that sin, he didn't want Jesus to wash it away. You see, friends, Satan had blinded his eyes, hardened his heart. Thank God that God broke through. But I believe that is an illustration that was insightful to me. Realize that many times people reject the gospel because they've been blinded. Satan's blinded their minds. You see, 
That's what I believe Jesus is saying here. He's saying that there's, str- there's terrible consequences. And one of the consequences is of sin is obviously if it doesn't come, to, if you don't get it resolved, you die lost and go to devil's hell. What a tragedy. Now, there is other, you say, well, preacher, uh, are you saying if anybody commits to sin, they go to hell? Well, let's think about it in the Bible. There's a guy named David. You ever heard of David? When you get to heaven, is David going to be there? Could somebody tell me? Yeah, he's going to be there. David's going to be there. Did David commit the sin we're talking about? And the answer is, yeah, he did. Why is David going to be there? Because, my friend, you don't get to heaven by what you do or don't do. You get to heaven because you're trusting the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all sin. David was a believer, no doubt about it. Did he commit this sin? Yes, he did. So what can we learn? Do Christians commit these sins? Unfortunately, they do. But please hear me. Even though we obviously are going to one day go to heaven, hallelujah, thank the Lord, we still have consequences. For a crusade, man, what are the consequences? You know, I believe I could preach a whole message, probably two or three, on the consequences of sexual sin in the life of a believer. Could I just give you one from Proverbs chapter number 6? Proverbs 6 who wrote Proverbs 6? Oh, yeah, a guy named Solomon. Who was Solomon's mommy and daddy? Anybody want to tell me? Oh, David and Bathsheba. So Solomon, no, here's what he said. Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. Do not miss this. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. My friend, you look at pornography, commit mental adultery, you are destroying your soul. You get involved in any kind of sexual sin, you're destroying your own soul. There's something soul-deadening and soul-destroying about uh, the sin Jesus is talking about, sexual sin, whether it's mental or, or, or actual. That, that it destroys. That's why 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war, anybody know? Against the soul. I don't even totally understand what that means. I just know it can't be good. There's a destruction of the soul. Now, I got really good news for you, and I don't have time to develop it. I'm just trying to throw some good news out because we're going to deal with it as the week goes on. Psalm 23 says this about God. He restoreth my soul. You can be caught in a web of sexual addictions, and I want to tell you before this week is out, God can begin to restore your soul. It may take a while to totally get free, and it may not. I've seen people delivered immediately. But sometimes there's more of a battle. I don't know. But the point is simply this. There is an answer. God can restore your soul. He can do that. I'm just throwing that out. Don't have time to develop it. As the week goes on, we'll develop it. How can God restore our souls? Okay, with that understanding, we see that there's pretty bad consequences for sexual sin. All you got to do is look around. We got some senior citizens in here. I'm sure anybody, how many are 80? Can I see your hands? How many are 80 or older? 80 or older. You know what I'm talking about. You live in a different world than you did when you were born, even when you were 10 years old. Just look at the divorce rate, just that alone. How many kids grow up with father wounds? All across this room are people who grew up with a father who was angry. And many times you didn't know it, maybe you did. His problem, he had sexual sin in his life and it was destroying him and he was angry. Didn't even probably understand why. See, anger uh, in the home is just so prevalent today, just so prevalent. I've had people tell me, I just thought everybody grew up with an angry father. Well, maybe they do. I thank the Lord there are exceptions, my dad being one. But the point I'm making, friend, is there's great destruction 
in what we're talking about here. Great destructive. You may be 17 years old and think it's harmless, but you are absolutely foolish if you know your Bible. It's not harmless. It's destructive. Don't wake up at 35 with tears streaming on faith with destroyed marriage and destroyed kids before you have to wake up and realize it's not harmless. It's bad stuff. The whole moral arena, uh, immoral arena. God created the intimacy. Satan perverts it, but God created it for marriage and marriage alone. But obviously there's destructive consequences, and I'm going to have to move on, but that brings me to a final point. And again, we're, not, we're just walking through this passage. We'll, as the week goes on, continue to develop things, because you say, well, preacher, my issue is not pornography. Well, the issue in a lot of people's lives may not be morality, but we all have, how do we say this, wrong thinking that produces wrong habits in our life. Same principle, we'll talk about that later too. But notice what it says here, particularly on this issue. There is, last of all, what I'm going to call the defensive care. The defensive care. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Whoa. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. Whoa. You say, preacher, that's pretty strong language. I heard of a preacher, in fact, I, I heard this preacher preach, but he didn't do this while I was preaching. But I heard one day while this preacher was preaching, uh, he was preaching along. He said, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. And he reached behind a glass eye, which happened to be in his right socket. He popped it out, and he rolled it down the center aisle. Whoa. Wow, that preacher means business. <laughs> well, of course, he can go to the back of the auditorium, pick up his, lies, uh, his eye, suck off the uh, fuzzies, and pop it back in. You know what I'm talking about? You say, wow, that's strong language, preacher. What does God mean by that? Well, obviously, Jesus is getting our attention. Doesn't he get your attention on this thing? You know what I believe he's saying, and this is for every unsafe person in this room, because some of you in this room are headed straight to hell. You've got garbage in your life. You look at pornography every day. You have no concern for the things of God. You've never been to Jesus to be cleansed in the fount. Please listen carefully. Here's what Jesus is saying to you. No sin's worth rejecting Jesus over. No sin's worth hell. Now, there's not a sin on this planet, my friend, that is worth having a hardened and darkened heart about. Turn to Jesus. He can break you through the blinded mind. And uh, the gospel's powerful, can do that, can free you from the blindness that you've been in. But there's no sin on planet Earth that is worth rejecting Jesus over. I believe he's using strong language to wake us up. But there is still an application for us believers because there's innate in the, in the text here. There's clearly some application that we don't want to miss because most of us in this room do know Jesus. Now, if you don't know Jesus, I hope you'll make a beeline to the altar. Listen, heaven and hell is no joke. And there's some of you right now sitting in this room lost and hellbound. I say this as compassionately as I know how. Jesus is knocking at your heart's door and he's saying, you better listen to that guy. He's talking about you. And the reason he does that because he loves you and he wants to wash your sin away and he wants to save you. And I hope you'll make a beeline for the Lord Jesus today and realize Jesus can cleanse you. And the very first step toward being cleansed of sexual sin is Jesus Christ. You have to have him. You can do all things through Christ. Again, okay, now, but back to it. Notice what it says, if thy right eye offend thee. The word offend is a very interesting word. It's a verb. It comes from a noun. The noun may surprise you. It surprised me. The noun is a stick. Now, how do you get offend from a stick? Well, actually, it's not too hard because the verb means knock the stick out. I've got some, some old-timers in the room, no offense, I'm getting there, but some old-timers in the room, I never did this as a kid, but some of you did. Went out in the woods, you know, had a big, huge wooden box, maybe put a rock on it and put a stick on one side. And then you put a little bait underneath the box, you remember that? Then you left for a few days and hoped maybe a raccoon, a fox, 
Hopefully not a porcupine or a skunk. But anyway, you hope that some small prey would eat that, eat that bait, knock the stick out, <clears throat> the box would fall, entrapping the prey. That's the picture. If your right eye knocks the stick out, if your hand knocks the stick out, so Jesus, who, by the way, is our creator, pastor made that very clear uh, in the um, Sunday school hour, Jesus, who is our creator, uh, understands because he created you. He's saying the very first thing you better be careful of is your eye because your eye can knock the stick out of the trap of moral impurity. I remember when I was a kid, we grew up in a parsonage in Chicago, downtown Chicago on the south side. We had problem with mice. And so we had various traps all over the house. One day, my toddler sister, probably one years old, maybe, maybe 10 months, maybe a year, two months, whatever, in that age, she was toddling through the kitchen one day, and she saw a little wooden platform, some wires, and she saw a piece of cheese. Well, she was hungry. Cheese. I like cheese. You know, it's amazing what kids put in their mouth and live. If you and I knew what we stuck in our mouths, we'd be totally grossed out. You know what I'm talking about? I had a mother tell me the worst thing she ever fished out of her child's mouth was half of a cockroach, and she couldn't find the other half. Okay, now that's bad. That's bad. Really bad. So my little toddler sister is going through the kitchen. As she goes through the kitchen, she reaches down, and none of us were there. We were all in the living room, all of us, our whole family. We were five kids, mom and dad. And all of a sudden, we heard a whap, followed by a long wail. And then my cute little toddler sister with the little cute cheeks, big crocodile tears coming down, walked in the living room and held up a hand with a mousetrap on it. We all laughed. I felt so bad about that since. I think, I'm not sure. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Your kid sister, how that goes. What did she do? She knocked the stick out. She triggered the trap. Now, let me just conclude with this, and I'll conclude quickly. This is for you believers. This is for you that know Jesus. You know what God is saying? You better be careful what you look at because the eye can trigger the trap. Did you know that? You know, there's nobody out here thinking, wow, I can't believe that the eye trigger. We know that. Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? The reason your brain is a trash pit is because of the things you've looked at. That's exactly what God's helping us see. Jesus even says, whosoever looketh, see that? Um, Solomon said, lust not after beauty, eyes in thine heart, Proverbs 6. So God makes a connection, in other words, between the brain and a connection, or in the heart. He makes a connection between those. And he says, the, 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 how do I put this? The download is right here. This is where you download. And there's not a man in this room who struggles with evil thoughts who did not download the filth into your brain. And the problem is, eventually it gets into that limbiatic um, part of your brain, which becomes your, it's what you learn how to, how many drive stick? Can I ask you how many drive stick? How many think when you drive stick? If you were to go to England and have to drive stick with your left hand, would you have to think? And the answer is, yes, because yes, it's not in your limbiatic. You'd have to think. You see, the problem with looking at filth is pretty soon it gets into the automatic part. That's why I'm simply saying the only way to fight this, you can't fight it on the lust level alone. You've got to realize there's power. There's a lot of things we can talk about, the renewing of your mind, but for time's sake, we're just diagnosing and giving you glimpses that there is hope. But Jesus is saying, for this is preventative. For every young man out here who has never looked at pornography, may I tell you, if I were you, I would fear pornography more than a loaded gun. 
If someone came, came up to me with a loaded gun, the only thing that gun can pretty much do is put me in heaven a little bit early. But if somebody came up to me with pornography, they could literally destroy my, my, my marriage, my kids, my grandkids, my ministry. Listen, young person, fear that kind of garbage way more than you fear a loaded weapon because it's more destructive. See? See, what Jesus is saying, you better be careful about your eyes. But the problem is, it's not often that many people are just come and stick, though that happens. Sometimes, unfortunately, we pursue it. Watch movies we have no business watching as Christians. There's dear people in this room that know what I'm talking about. You have watched movies that have polluted your mind. You watch television programs that have polluted your mind. You have done YouTube videos, Facebook, social media. In fact, I had a shock a few years ago. I had a young man who was traveling with my team, and then he was off my team. And I called him up one day and said, how are you doing about the, the, the viewing issues? He said, I've had some failure. I said, where has your failure been? I was absolutely shocked when he told me social media. Because I just don't have time to fool with that. But some of you aren't shocked. You see, God said, you better be careful what you look at. You see that? Now, I know some of you baby boomers and generation, that greatest generation, I, I understand we may, you may not get what I'm saying. But I guarantee every millennial knows exactly what I'm talking about. The eye. Jesus is saying, you better be careful what you look at. Listen, it amazes me. Back when I was a kid, independent Baptist had convictions about what we looked at. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, I don't know that many do anymore. Oh, well, after all, Hollywood's cleaned up their act, and now that they just only put out good stuff, we don't have to really worry about it anymore. <laughs> Can I use a Paulianism? I speak as a fool. <laughs> See, the point is, friends, the eye can trigger the trap. You've got to take strong measures. You know how we, we have many of our young men that come to Baptist College of Ministry. Thank God for Baptist College of Ministry. I'm, I served there as vice president as well as traveling, but... Small Bible college up. We have about 120 students. But we have several of our young men who come in with, with failure in the area of viewing. And I will tell you, I would say most of them, if not all of them, graduate with victory. And one of the reasons they graduate with victory is they put on accountability software onto all their devices. So every website they go to goes shipping right over to their dad. It's amazing how that helps. Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. But the point simply would be, friends, the eye. The reason I'm preaching about the eye is because this is the issue in our day. This is the big one. There are some people who never get in a guy-girl relationship, but they, are, they say today, and I, I'm just trying to shock some of you that are older than I am, they say today that a young man in one night, many young men in one night, view more pornographic images than your generation would have viewed in a lifetime. In one night. See, it's a huge issue. The eye is a big deal. It's a big deal. Absolutely a big deal. And if you want to have victory, you've got to start with the eye. Get strong accountability. I mean, get dead serious. Get to your pastor, youth pastor, and say, i got a problem. Say, well, preacher, it's embarrassing. The truth is, it's far more prevalent than we want to admit. Now, great, I'll be honest with you, in a church with a lot of senior citizens, I think the percentages dip. But they're not dipping among the millennials, and many of you millennials know exactly what I'm talking about. And all I'm simply saying, it's an uncomfortable subject. And I want every millennial room in this room to know, you don't have to live the rest of your life in addiction. You can be delivered. But you better get dead serious about the fact it's a problem. It's destroying you. It's literally destroying your brain. 
Some of you never touch cocaine, but I'm telling you it's doing this. Pornography is doing the same thing to it, your brain, that is. See, and I can prove it medically. Wouldn't be hard at all to do that. But the point simply, friends, is you better be careful what you look at. And that certainly is the issue today. But I'm going to go to the second issue because this was the issue when I was growing up. This is where this was the issue that uh, was preached on by uh, preachers all the time when I was growing up. And I'm not diminishing that it's not important today. It certainly is. But the first one is definitely the first one. But look at verse number 30, and we'll have to conclude here. Notice what it says. In fact, I'm going to quote the verse. And when I come to the word, I want you to say, I'll put my finger on my ear, and I ask you just to say quietly or, you know, a normal voice uh, that uh, next word. Okay, verse 30. And if thy right Okay, first thing that triggers the trap is the eye. Help me out now. Second thing that triggers the trap is the... Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Listen, young man, you better be careful what you do with your hands. I'm just going to tell you, I didn't write this. I know I look old. It comes from Jesus Christ. <laughs> he created you, and he said, you better be careful what you do with your hands. You're in a guy-girl relationship, you better be careful what you do with your hands. Because Jesus said it can trigger the trap. Did you hear me? I'm not telling you that. I'm saying Jesus says it can trigger the trap. Now, I realize in the world in which we live, that step is skipped. I get that. But the point is, Jesus says, saying, it starts with what you might call romantic touch or a touch that kindles a fire. And all of us know you better put a fire out and put it out. It's best not even get the fire going. But you put it, got to get a fire in a place it shouldn't be. You better get it out fast or it's going to take over fast. There's many in this room who have seen wildfires or seen fires get out of control. And it's very interesting when it comes to touch that God in the, the word of God uses fire as an analogy. Did you know that? Proverbs 6 again, good old Solomon. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can God one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, hang on. Whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. I didn't write that. That word touch in, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the New Testament, is the word opto. Or optomai in the middle voice. That's how it's used in 1 Corinthians 7, 1. And if you study the word, all it means is a touch that kindles. Kindles a fire. And so what God is saying is no man has any right touching a woman in a way that kindles a fire in either of you. Isn't that practical? <laughs> He's saying all touch that kindles is for the hearth of marriage. That's the only place there should be what I would call romantic touch or a touch that is designed to kindle a fire. The Bible's so practical, and Jesus is saying, you better be careful. You better be careful what you do. Now, I know some of you say, are so inundated with Hollywood that you might even think, oh, that preacher's off. I want to tell you something, friends. I'm not off. If I'm off, Jesus is off. I'll tell you who's off. Hollywood's off. Stop believing Hollywood and start believing the Holy Word. Because the Holy Word has a whole lot more, uh, has all truth, and Hollywood's lying to you most of the time. The truth is, what are you going to do about it, young man? Some of you face in marriage. I want to ask you a question. Do you care about your grandkids? Because every young man in this room ought to care about your grandkids. Because what you do will affect them. You look at pornography, it will affect you. And maybe I'll conclude with this. In that series on pornography, it basically said there is new science. What I mean is new discovery that validates something in the Bible that's amazing. That is this. Did you know that your actions can affect your DNA? They're now finding if a man is an alcoholic, his DNA puts a marker on it so those kids are more likely to be alcoholics. 
If you're a pornographic addict, your kids will have a, a tendency, in fact, it will take less for them to become an addict, an addict than you. You put a marker on your DNA. You know that's biblical? You say, well, preacher, that's kind of depressing. Well, it's really not, because they're also finding that if, you, if, if your father was an alcoholic and you don't ever touch it, you take the marker off for your, your kids, and they won't have that marker. And if your dad was hooked on pornography, but you don't touch it, the marker goes off and your kids are back to normal. See, I'm just simply saying, young man, what you do affects your kids and grandkids. You better wake up to that fact. It's not innocent. It's not no big deal. It's a huge deal. And I'm preaching to some people in this room who've already just shut the door. And I will tell you, you can shut the door, do what you want to do. You will face the consequences. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to help people sitting around you that, my friend, that you can be delivered from this stuff and you don't have to mark the rest of your life with an addiction that, because Jesus can heal it. So Jesus Christ is helping us. Don't trigger the trap. Don't trigger the trap. Let's ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed.